As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So tell me why you mad even. Your team gonna be sad leaving after matching up with Brad Stevens. Each season, champion contenders. We drop twice a week like you trying to guard Kemba. Your team whack and your players whacker. I got the inside scoop after hanging up with Jay and Packer. Okay, we about chips here. I'm talking about this year. Banner 12 plus 6 here. Carson was top rookie. I'm seeing it now. Off the charts, but you gotta play it market smart. Close out, cause he pulling up from Harvard Yard. Gang green, it's no other way. So tune in to the pod if you plan on staying up today. You heard? <laughs> AJ, I, I see you, player. She. Welcome to Anything is Potable! The Boston Celtics podcast here on The Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter for The Athletic, Jay King, everyone. And we are coming to you after the Celtics defeat the Heat on a Peyton Pritchard tip-in to complete their ninth game of the season. Yes, they have played nine games, nine out of 72 is an eighth of the season, so we will be doing two podcasts in one today. The first half, talking about the Celtics' just bizarre game against the Heat, where there's many flashbacks to the Eastern Conference Finals of the Celtics blowing leads, and we'll talk about the heroics of Peyton Pritchard. And then we'll dive in, jump in, dive in to uh, just the take a step back and look at the season so far, what's happened over the first nine games, what's sustainable and what's not. And so, Jay, let's start with last night. Oh, let's start with this. It is way too fucking early to be dealing with your energy. It's <laughs> I haven't had my first coffee yet. And, and you're, it's you're 10 a.m. You, you just come in hot. You're just you're just so energetic. You're you're I can't deal with you till till afternoon. Bro, but I'm an active and alert child, and I it's 10 a.m. It's your fault for not having coffee by this point. Uh, it's frankly ridiculous that you just can't deal with this amount of energy. I mean, Peyton Pritchard had a tip-in game winner last night, and you expect me to be j- uh, not jazzed? <laughs> like, you expect me to calm down after that high? You're still going. Still going. I'm sorry. I can't turn this off, Jay. So let's, let's, let's go into a nice zen yoga mode, and let's calmly discuss what you saw last night from the Celtics. Uh, there was some good. There was some really bad. And there was some Peyton Pritchard. That was kind of how it went. The, uh, I mean, there were stretches. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown were just awesome. The f- the first quarter, they just, I mean, they were beating the Heat fifteen to nine at, at one point, just kind of hitting everything. I think they helped mask a that the double big lineup still stinks um, for a while, but second half. The offense just went away. Really, toward the end of the second quarter, the offense just went away. 
Marcus Smart had probably the most ridiculous foul I have ever seen. Oh, my God, that was terrible. Because it wasn't just that he fouled a dude shooting a three from behind half court with basically no time left on the clock in the second quarter. It was also that it was his fourth foul. So that that was like the the rare double whammy of awful fouls. Um, but I, I kind of enjoyed it just because it was ludicrous. And then the offense was still bad for a while in the second half. Then Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum turned awesome again, and they let the Celtics surge. Then the Heat came back on a 10-0 run. Which is which wild. Shades of shades of the Eastern Conference Finals. If if the Heat had won that game, fans would have been angsty. Angsty. Oh, yeah. No, I was I was angsty in the moment. I mean, it felt like the Eastern Conference Finals in that the Celtics gave up a 17-point lead uh in the third quarter, which, you know, this that's the modern NBA. Leads can come and go like that. It wasn't too surprising, but you're right, the offense really struggled. It was interesting to see the two big lineup um, somewhat work in the first quarter and then really did not work in the third quarter. But I don't know how much of that was uh, a lack of spacing or how much of that was just the Celtics just well, bad effort. It the, the offense just looks gross when that group's on the court. Just gross. And I think the offense is bad enough that it was impacting the defense. It was it was kind of disgusting for a while, the Celtics offense. They they weren't moving the ball. They weren't moving bodies. They weren't doing well, the thing that's anything. interesting is that it was like the offense was also very bad in the second quarter where each team only scored 19 points. And so the Celtics follow up a 34-point quarter with a 19-point quarter. Luckily enough, the Heat were not really making shots in that quarter either, but the Celtics – uh, offense in that second quarter was bad they really lost the lead though in that third quarter when it looked like the when brad went back to the two big lineup and it just wasn't working you just like the, the tatum and brown have so much more space this is something scal was talking about in the broadcast when you can play some spread pick and roll and have someone like grant uh in the corner and it's wild to me to say someone like grant in the corner but someone who can somewhat space the floor and knock down corner threes. I've decided that any three that comes from someone playing the four position should count for more for this Celtics season because it just does so much for their offense if they can have a legitimate floor spacer. And it was, it's just bad. And I don't know when it, <laughs> that is a ridiculous comment. <laughs> someone in the chat, Lance Cartier said they thought Jay was black for some reason. Um, maybe it was this discussion of all the Sean John and uh, articles of clothing he wore in middle school. But the Celtics offense is just inconsistent. And for whatever reason, they were able to go on a te- their own 10-0 run at the end of the fourth quarter and then completely just fell apart. And it was showed you like the brilliance of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown because they basically dominated stretch it like the four minute mark to the two minute mark. And it's like, Oh, the game's over. And then after that, the Celtics completely fell apart. And so I don't know what to believe. I do know Jason and Jalen are quite good, but uh, it was just a, a absolutely wild finish and probably the funniest finish that could happen with Peyton Pritchard kind of sealing the deal after Marcus smart, probably not the guy you want taking the last shot uh, with a tie game. Pretty sure he double dribbled or traveled on that. Also sure he got hacked uh, going to the lane and just Peyton Pritchard getting the free run in and the tip. I was convinced Smart was going to get a technical foul. Oh, yeah, he screamed. He lit up the ref. Even after Pritchard finished that, he lit up the ref. And, if I mean, it probably wouldn't have mattered. There were just 0.2 seconds left. Even if he got a tech, just one free throw, uh, it would have – put disaster on the table, I guess, but probably wouldn't have mattered. He was upset. I I, I don't really blame him. Um, and I, that play, like the heat just sold out to not let Tatum and Brown catch the ball. And so I, I think smart was right to take the ball to the cup. He saw the defense. He saw how much time was left and, and he went to the hole. I mean, we spent, a lot of time criticizing Jason Tatum for the shots he took at the end of games. I'm not going to blame Marcus Smart for beating somebody and getting to the cup and putting the ball up on the glass because that's what happens. When you put pressure on the defense, 
you just open up opportunities. You open up the chance to get fouled. You open up the chance for a putback. I, I thought that was a, a good play by Smart to recognize that the Heat just weren't going to allow the Celtics' two best players to get the ball. And, and he just, just went for it. Peyton Pritchard was there. Well, that's the thing. Peyton Pritchard was on the court for the final stretch of the game because, and Brad Stevens will say this, it's not who starts the game, it's who finishes. Do you think Peyton Pritchard is part of this team's best five lineup right now? Yeah. Yeah, I do. And I, I mean, I, I think it's blatantly obvious. He's like, it's him. Yeah, I don't think that stone. is at all a hot take. I think, although I will say, there was a, a time when Grant Williams was on the court last night that the Celtics looked really good with Grant next to Daniel Tice and Smart and Brown and Tatum. Williams was great against Adebayo. That that was a part that I, I don't think a lot of people mentioned, at least on Twitter. But Grant was tough. Grant kept Adebayo from, from really taking over. Obviously, Adebayo had the key rebound. Williams wasn't on the court at that point. So Grant Grant did a great job. He's had two good games in a row, kind of riding the ship after a, a tough start to the season for him. I think the thing that's interesting looking back at the box score from last night is that the Tristan Thompson signing, when he first signed, you have in mind like, oh, he is this guy, this big, versatile defender who can move his feet. And you kind of think he's brought in to like defend guys like Bam. And he only played 19 minutes last night. You're right. They got kind of their best defense against Bam with Grant and Tice or Grant and Time Lord on the court with using the smaller guy at Bam so you can still have a kind of the traditional rim protector to stop back um, and kind of stop guys like Duncan Robinson or Tyler Hero coming around screens. Uh, But were you surprised that we didn't see more of Tristan Thompson uh, against Bam Adebayo? Because isn't that the exact kind of guy he was brought in to stop or at least try to slow down? Probably, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I mean, overall, he was brought in because he's just an upgrade. He's a, he's not Ennis Cantor. He was an obvious upgrade from Ennis Cantor, somebody who can stay on the floor defensively. And I mean, I think he and Tice are comparable enough that Stevens has options at the end of games. And if you're going to have somebody not guard Bam, who's the center? then I think Tice guarding the perimeter and being able to rotate and do all those things makes sense. Um, and like I said, Grant did a great job. There was no need to put Tristan out there on BAM the way that Grant was playing against him. Now, we said that it's probably not too big a hot take to say Peyton Pritchard is in the top five. Who do you think the fifth guy is? Is it Daniel Tice at this point? Because... The Time Lord is playing pretty damn good basketball right now, and his numbers or the team's numbers with him and Jason Tatum on the court are absolutely insane. Well, the numbers with Tatum and anyone on the bench are absolutely insane, partly because Tatum, Tatum is shooting is absolutely insane. He's shooting like 60-something percent from three when Jalen Brown is not on the court, which is totally unsustainable and totally impressive and has juiced the numbers with him and, and the bench group. Um I think, yeah, I mean, Robert Williams has played well. I th- I still think it's hard to, like, trust him in key situations. Look back to the Pacers game. It's just, like, of the three centers, he has the highest ceiling, I think, when he's out there. But he also has by far the lowest floor. And and so that's, that's kind of the issue with playing him in, in key moments down the stretch. It's, and especially when you're trying to execute, you're trying to do everything right. He's gotten so much better, though. He's gotten so, so much better from, I mean, when he was a rookie, he was just kind of lost. Last year, he started to show, all right, he's an interesting NBA player. This year, it's more and more consistent. So he's been promising. Maybe he works his way into that closing lineup at some point. But I just think, like, the variability of having him out there is is big. Now, speaking of players who have taken a step or a leap or improved, I think Shemi Ojale has shown um, just wild improvement from where he was last year, and I don't think anyone predicted the, the big Shemi leap this year. 
the thing that's interesting about last night's game is he did not play at all in the second half. We got a good 10 minute run from Carson Edwards, which people were, uh, I think, rightly confused about uh, what happened there. Why didn't Shemi play the second half? Uh, considering he seems like he's uh, played a lot better uh, to start the season. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, Shemi is going to be a part of the rotation most nights, most halves, based on the way he's played. I think against the Heat, they decided the offense was terrible. And I think they, they went with Carson just because just Brad at that point was kind of throwing darts a little bit, trying to see if Carson would juice the offense a little bit. He wasn't bad. Carson wasn't bad. He was, he ran the floor. He got a couple of layups. That was the best thing he did was run out and get layups in transition. Carson yeah. Edwards needs to be able to knock down open both corner wide threes, open corner threes. Wide yeah. open corner threes. And if Carson Edwards, like, I, it's, I know make or miss league, and now he wasn't trying to miss them, but, like, if he need, wants playing time, he needs to make, like, the best of those opportunities and knock down corner threes. Like, corner threes – are going to be so huge for the Celtics bench this year. They just need people who can do that consistently. Yeah, and that's – I mean, that's that's what he's going to have to do to stick on the court. It's not always going to be run-out run layups for him. But, I mean, the the minutes he was on the court went fine. I, I think the, Shemi lost his minutes probably because Grant was playing as much as he did and playing next to centers. And I, I think they thought – against all of Miami shooting, I, I I would guess, I'm just guessing here, that playing Shemi and Grant and a center... It's just, you can't do like that. You're just clogging clogging the paint a little bit on offense, and then it, it those guys like aren't the greatest three-point shooting defenders of all time, even though they're all good at defense in their own right. Like That's not the, the most agile pairing that the Celtics have. So that would be my guess why Shemi didn't play much. I mean, it, it's obvious that he's done a lot of good things. Um, he had a nice, nice little putback, putback last night. He's He's been – I mean, I don't want to say it's that surprising because it's not like he's doing crazy stuff that he never really did before. He's just kind of gotten better as a shooter and more dependable as a shooter, and that's just kind of opened up things for him and and made him a lot more valuable to the Celtics, especially this Celtics team that kind of needs that. That is desperate for that kind of someone on the wing or someone to play a solid position from the four. I think you're absolutely right with, if you're going to have Grant on the court and a five, just the, with this roster construction, it's really hard to play Shemi at the three. He's pretty much only can come in and play that four position. And you're not really, with having Tice, Tristan Thompson, and Time Lord, you're not going to see a lineup with uh, the two bigs being Shemi and Grant. With that being said, I'm going to start the potable six-pack, the first of two potable six-packs. Sorry for the energy, Jay, but we're going to do a potable six-pack uh, for the Heat game and then a potable six-pack for the first uh, nine games of the season. But I'm starting off the one for the Heat game with Shemi Ojale's contested three in the corner Dance on the heat bench. I just never saw it coming. It made me smile. I said before that any threes from the uh, the four position count as double. A contested one from Shemi in which he kind of just stunts on the heat bench afterwards, that's got to count for at least six points. That's my first pick in the potable six-pack. Yeah, that was awesome. That was not a Shemi moment. Like Shemi is quiet. Shemi's laid back. Shemi doesn't usually say much, so when he does or when he goes out and celebrates, just fantastic. I'm all about cocky Shemi. That, I didn't even know cocky Shemi existed until last night. All I knew was quiet confidence Shemi existed, but never cocky Shemi. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big cocky Shemi supporter. I need more cocky Shemi. That was fantastic. It reminded me of the time when it was that shitty season um with Kyrie and all those guys and they were getting trounced by the Rockets and Shemi of all people was just berating everyone wake the fuck up wake the <laughs> fuck up that cuz that was just so uncare like when Shemi speaks up like that or when Shemi dances you pay attention because Shemi doesn't do it very often cocky he- Shemi I need him here to stay. 
anytime a thick jack frame like that is gets just very excited, people notice. And I noticed, and you noticed, and the people noticed. I'm going with it's kind of a joint pick, but Peyton Pritchard celebration and Evan Turner roasting the that Peyton was my Pritchard next celebration. Pick. Just incredible. Just incredible. Um, Evan Turner on Twitter saying that Peyton Pritchard celebrated his game winner like he won the spelling bee. <laughs> Just perfect. Uh, it, it is so great that Evan Turner joined the Celtics because he's going to just hand out moments of joy throughout the season. Peyton Pritchard was excited. Peyton Pritchard was feeling himself. But it wasn't, but there was no crowd there. Pritchard explained after the game that like he didn't, he wasn't that demonstrative because it was just like he felt like kind of shy and awkward with no with no one in the stands. That's why I think Turner that, said that's excuses. That's excuses. That's the word of a man who celebrated poorly, got roasted, <laughs> and, and tried to make something up. I, I'm not buying that. But it, I mean, his putback. It, it really, people say it on Twitter all the time, but it makes you miss Tommy Heinsohn because Tommy Heinsohn would have been raving about Peyton Pritchard because he plays hard. He's come in as a rookie and contributed right away. He's racked up Tommy points. It, I mean, it, it really does make you think of Tommy every time because he would have loved, loved, loved Peyton Pritchard. Someone, uh, I can't find it right now, but someone on Twitter put the audio. I think it was just Mar- uh, Tommy just screaming after Marcus Smart did something amazing over the video of Peyton Pritchard's tapping, and it was it was perfection. It was the exact reaction we needed. You need uh, you need to send that to me because I didn't see that. I will I will tweet it out as soon as I can find it uh, after this episode. But Beautiful. What is your second pick? in the potable six-pack? Uh, I'm going to go with Jason Tatum kind of taking over. Like it, it, was a, it wasn't like a, a high-key takeover, like, but he went baseline for a dunk. He had another dunk, like just kind of – pulled the Celtics out of a funk that they were in for a long time. And and especially against the Heat, especially in that matchup, that's the type of Jason Tatum you want to see. I mean, it got to a point where they were just kind of doubling him when he was standing at half court, sort of like the the James Harden treatment. So I I just think Tatum and Brown continue to grow so much, and and they're changing this team ceiling in real time. Like the the better they get, the more capable they get, and I I do think like obviously Kemba being out hurts the team, and they're not as good without him out. But I do think those guys can benefit from this because the amount of attention that they receive is just increased be so much because there's nobody else that defenses have to worry about nobody. And, and I mean, you have to stay on some guys. You have to make sure that Smart doesn't get an open three. You have to make sure a couple other guys don't get an open three. But it's like, seriously, those guys have so much attention on them. It's it's gotten funny to me when Smart is spacing in the corner and Jalen is driving. Teams just leave the corner and, and go help out on Jalen. And it's like, kind of makes sense because otherwise Jalen's probably going to get to the cup. But that's not like normally how you see NBA defense. We're like helping hard from the corner. And that's that's the type of defensive attention these guys are getting. And they're still putting up huge numbers every night. And yeah. carrying the Celtics to a six and three record against a really good schedule with Kemba Walker out. Yeah, and it, it's interesting. I think you're right. That's an opportunity for development for both Tatum and Brown in terms of playmaking. I think Brad said something interesting the other day about maybe it was on the pregame with Scal, but when the best offensive game the Celtics had was, and it was the second game in Detroit where that's where Tatum was basically getting doubled the entire time. He ended up with 12 assists, but with the amount of attention that they're getting, it's just an opportunity for them 
both Tatum and Brown to make the right play um, and find the other guys and get so much attention. You mentioned Smart being in the corner and have all the attention Jalen's getting. I'm just remembering years past where I feel like Marcus Smart would be the playmaker and Jalen would be the one in the corner, just like clapping his hands to like because he was open <laughs> and just being furious he didn't get the ball. So the table have turned. Uh, for my pick, I'm going to go with Jalen Brown just – he had a bad shooting game for his standards this season. Still ended yeah. up with 21 points, but his ability, he's just knocked down shots. You're, the stat you mentioned in your uh, article from a couple days ago, which NBC Sports Boston completely stole. I, we got to give they? you credit. Uh, yeah, they brought it up in the broadcast. 78% for on, um, long twos. 71 71. I mean, that was that was a pure Jay King stat. I don't think that's necessarily sustainable from Jalen Brown, but he's just been so much better as a shot maker. Even when just pull up threes, uh, when slightly contested, you're completely confident in his ability to knock it down. He has an ability to even when the ISO ball, like the offense really doesn't look good. There are times where he can just get to his his spot with a nice jumper around the, the elbow extended. And I think as we saw at the start of the game, it was like, all right, the first four minutes, Jason Tatum's going to go off and score nine points. Then Jalen Brown can come in and just give you eight quick points. If just their ability to both of those guys to take over or kind of pass the ball back and forth and hit your turn, my turn, I think it's just going to be huge for the Celtics moving forward. And so I have to go with uh, just Jalen Brown continuing to be uh, a great shooter, which is just, I didn't really... I didn't really see it coming. I mean, I I feel bad for calling Gordon Hayward the two-point daddy when we had Jalen Brown here all along, just like knocking down long twos with ease. He's the new two-point father. How always has been. Um, Not two-point daddy, two-point father. Two-point father. That's important. Two-point, uh, two-point oh. Now, now that you've got a little bit of coffee in you, you're, you're starting to think your neurons I'm are connecting. Now. All right, for my final pick... I mean, I got to come back to fast PP and uh, just that spin move, that nifty as heck old man pivot in the lane that he had to get. He's just like so good around the rim. It's ridiculous with his footwork, his timing, his patience. And I mean, I guess this is a combo pick, but him and Time Lord in the game is just electric because Peyton Pritchard knows what to do and where to put the basketball and with the vertical spacing, I love vertical spacing. Anytime vertical spacing is brought up, I'm a huge fan. But the vertical spacing that Rob Williams gives is uh, – and Rob, Time Lord seems like he has better hands this season. Maybe it's just the, the magic of the connection between Time Lord and uh, PP. But those two guys attacking the rim has just been uh, gangbusters for the Celtics, and I want more. You've got Peyton Pritchard fever. I mean, everyone does. I mean, it's more contagious than COVID. <laughs> it's the third strain. Jesus. Forsberg called him a legend on the post game last night. I see no lies. Well, you sounds like you got the fever as well. He he's been really good. He has been way better than I expected, just because I don't expect anything out of rookies, especially late first round picks. He's been and and he he's kind of done a little bit of everything. He's defended. He's shot threes. He's gotten to the cup. He's created for others. They they really have like just sort of given him the keys to the offense at times, which is very rare for a rookie. And Brad has even said it. We need him to be really aggressive, Brad said, because there aren't a lot of threats, offensive threats in that second unit. And we kind of need him to be that. It's like, all right, like, sure. Rookie, rookie Peyton Pritchard, throw throw it all on his shoulders and He's he's earned it. He earned it quickly too, with just a quick training camp, no summer league, all that shit. Peyton Pritchard. A lot of people got Peyton Pritchard fever. Yeah, um, they do. Sixth right. pick. The press conference. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. Just, just a fucking weird day in this country yesterday. Um, a dark day in this country. And I appreciate the thought and care that those guys put into the message that they send. And it's obvious that, that they care deeply about the way 
the discrepancy between the way that that white people and black people are are treated in this country and and they're they're upset they're angry and they they've just shared very very good messages i think um throughout all the recent crap that's going on yesterday just another example of how things are different for one group of people than than they are for another and and i just think it's it's powerful to have those guys stand up together and and just kind of say this this isn't fair and it sucks and we need to change and i know a lot of players league wide have said it but i've been impressed by the way jalen brown and jason tame have done it i i feel like those two guys have kind of grown up over the last two years and i'm not saying that they were like immature at all to begin with they were always guys that were mature but they've kind of grown into their voices and and grown into like tatum used to hate the media he used to just give quick quick answers and and now he's out there leading a a charge you know and and i i I really respect the way that those guys have 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 put their words together and and just been thoughtful throughout this whole process and just kind of tried to bring messages of unity in a time when when that's tough to come by yeah, I've been very impressed by how thoughtful and deliberate um, the Celtics players have been. And it's not just reactionary to kind of the awfulness of uh, insurrectionists, like trying to attack the Capitol. But I thought it was it was great that before the game, Brad mentioned that they were at like a 45 minute team discussion. And it wasn't just about that. It was about um, the Jacob Blake uh, officer involved in that shooting not getting indicted and kind of another example of uh, the justice system working entirely differently um, uh, for two different types of people in this country. And they also had like a lengthy discussion about the Massachusetts police reform bill. It's something that they wrote an op-ed about uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, It's something they made sure to touch on in their comments. It's not just a a kind of, I wouldn't say opportunistic reaction from them, but it's a, they obviously like pointed out the di- kind of disparities, but they also focused on one, I think, local issues for where they can have a huge impact, which is here in Massachusetts, and then other uh, criminal justice issues, which are clearly very important to them. I think that the Jacob Blake shooting is the what stopped um, games down in the bubble. And so for them to be follow up on that, I think is important. And Jalen, I think, said it best that he's not surprised by any of the things that happened, but is was seriously disappointed by that. And I thought they just both spoke. Um, they gave a, a solid voice to that frustration. And um, I think we're a positive impact in terms of just being role models for other people who can it, saying it's all right to be angry. It's all right to be upset. Cause you, you should be, cause this is definitely an issue. Yeah. It's fucked up, man. It's just fucked up. It's all fucked up. I would say that's absolutely true. Um, Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City, with David, a sculptor, and his wife Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son Evan continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's use that as a fun, uh, not fun, but a way to transition. Not fun at all. Not fun at all. A poignant transition to try and talk about uh, this Celtics team, what we've seen from them. Uh, in the first nine games of the season, they are six and three, basically three of their wins coming at the buzzer. So, you know, they could easily be three and six. Um, what has what are your biggest takeaways from, I guess, this team so far? What are your biggest questions? I know you wrote a, a questions column a couple days ago. What are the biggest questions about this team after they've done 12 and a half percent of the season? Yeah, I. I think that for the most part, like their offense has been pretty good. Um, I am interested to see whether they can sustain that because I think it's been propped up by a lot of hot Jalen Brown shooting. It's been propped up by a lot of hot three-point shooting by other guys. And I want to see whether they can continue to produce points at a high level when those things taper off a little bit. I'm actually – mildly surprised by how good the offense has been, especially given the competition. But like, I'm not sold on the shooting that they've had so far. And, and I think that the, the lack of three point volume for them will be an issue at some times. And obviously like you, you can see their offense really stagnate at times, but I do think like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are so good that some of the, the, the downside when you look at like the supporting cast around them isn't as bad because they, they've gotten to the point where like they can help guys help make guys better because they draw so much attention. Yeah. I think that so much of our attention from the media perspective was given to Jason Tatum and his ability to make the leap uh, to superstar. Uh, At least that was our discussion before the season that there's not enough attention paid to Jalen Brown, but Jalen Brown has made, a way bigger leap. I don't know if he's at the superstar level yet, but he's certainly a star and playing like an all-star at this point. And just how much that is helpful to Jason Tatum to not have to bear the brunt of the scoring load uh, is huge for the Celtics. And you're right. I think they're going to, they're going to be games where they just really struggle for points. If, if one of those two guys has just an off shooting night, but I think the, the first nine games, the story has to be, Holy crap. Jalen Brown, the mayor from downtown, is here and is just doing things I didn't know he was capable of. And so far through nine games has been very consistent in his ability uh, to put the biscuit in the basket. It's just he's been much better than I think anyone anticipated. And that's the reason the Celtics have been able to be so successful, even with their kind of odd roster construction, even with the kind of extended double big lineups and things like that. Now, the big question I have is, we talked about the double big lineups. Everyone wants to talk about the double big lineups. We mentioned that it's kind of useful for moments. um, Like you need to have that lineup available and ready for maybe having you to use it down the line. Does it get to a point where, I guess, Time Lord's playing good enough that maybe he deserves more minutes per game um one do you think they have to go away from it uh and start a smaller lineup and if they go away from it is there room for potential trade or moving on just because you can't have three guys three bigs who just don't play together in the court at the same time yeah i i think like so the 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 problem with trading one of those guys is then you have a lot less security for chances of injuries or something like that i do think like in this nba you don't need three capable centers like who who could all play half the game or more if you wanted them to i i do see that as like not an issue but like something that that could be like flipping one of those guys for perimeter help wouldn't be the worst thing for the context of this roster. Just just wouldn't be. Um, and I do think 
as long as they have those three guys, Robert Williams is going to get squeezed out of development opportunities a little bit. And right now, Daniel Tice has kind of been squeezed into a position that that's not natural for him. And it's really minimized his impact on a lot of these games. So the double big lineup is not good. It's not good at all. It could be good in certain situations in the playoffs like we've talked about. But from a standpoint of playing it every night, the Celtics are just putting themselves at a disadvantage because it seems like every game that group has at least one really bad stretch. Whether it's the first quarter, third quarter, both, like it's just it hasn't been good at all except for like very brief flurries, usually when Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are going bonkers. Yeah, it's so, not because of the double big lineup. It's just uh, they succeed when they happen to be on the court. Yeah, so I I think that's something. That, and Brad knows. Brad's smart enough to know this lineup isn't working. Um, he understands it. He's either doing it because he thinks it'll be very valuable later or because he just wants to – get Robert Williams more time. And that's one way to do it. Like there are reasons for him doing this lineup. He, he knows it's shitty. He has to know. Everyone knows. He's got, he's got two eyes and a soul. Like he, he's aware of things. The thing about it um, that I don't think a lot of people are talking about right now is that it's not a long-term solution. Like I think as soon as Kemba Walker comes back, he slides into the starting lineup and you got one big, Uh, uh, maybe, You put Marcus Smart coming off the bench, but yeah. I just don't see that happening, especially when you got fast PP coming in. It's just this spark plug. But like I think that's the, another huge thing is that the Celtics have looked pretty good. I'm not going to say great. They're not. I don't think they've looked as good as uh, at least the Sixers in terms of teams in the East, but they've looked like a very solid and competitive team um, and just got wins against um, the Heat and the Raptors, like two pretty solid Eastern Conference opponents. And this is all happening without Kemba Walker, like the all-star level player. We have no idea when he's actually going to return, but I think any wins they can get when he's on the sidelines are great because I think the team's just going to hit another level. They don't need to make a trade. They have him coming back and hopefully um, Romeo Langford coming back. And so I think people just have forgotten. Do you trust that Romeo Langford will help? I don't think he's going to need to do that much. Like, when Kemba comes back, that's just another guy that adds to their perimeter depth. Romeo will be able to be a little bit more flexible. He's shown the ability to kind of play solid defense. He's athletic as hell. If he can knock down, it's going to come down to if he can knock down corner threes because we've just seen that like that's the huge thing. If you can provide some spacing to those guys, uh, Tatum and Brown, and then like Kemba Walker was the best pick and roll ball handler in the league last year. If you can just add that level of uh, playmaking, like now the pick and rolls with Kemba at the top, and maybe you have Jalen Brown in the corner. Like Jalen Brown made such an improvement last year just being the guy in the corner and attacking closeouts and knocking down threes. If he can be at the level he is right now, um, just being a guy in the corner, I think the Celtics offense when Kemba comes back is going to be insane. Yeah, I I. I, I agree. It, it has a chance to be very, very good. Um, what do you think Kemba's role will be when he comes back? Like, is he the third option when he gets back? I think he's option number two. I think despite Jalen Brown's, like, emergence and improvement as a playmaker. I mean, Jalen is scoring 26 points a game on 54% shooting. I know, but don't you think Jalen is just maximized if he's like a guy who like you can, as not the primary ball handler, is like a guy you can run plays for, you can get him catching the like ball coming off screens. I like mean, you can- Again, he, he's shooting 54% and averaging 26 points a game. It's hard to say he's not maximized the way they're using him I just right think now. Kemba will enhance him. Like I think Kemba's yeah. a good playmaker, a good facilitator, and will put him in position – like just think how much better the team will be if they like defenses also have to pay attention to the best pick and roll ball handler in the league. Like I just think there's a, uh, you know, it's a good for all the boats. What's a good rising tide? All the boats go up is what people say. 
You keep calling him the best pick and roll ball handler in the league. Most efficient pick and ball ball handler in the league last year, according to what in points per possession. I don't even know. It's a stat that is molded into my brain. I don't remember the stat, but best pick and roll ball handler in the league last year, according to numbers. (laughs) I'm going to check that right now. I'm not 100% convinced that was true, but I I do think like he's just going to make everything easier for those guys. And I think I brought up this comparison last year. Kemba Walker is kind of like Tony Parker to me. Tony Parker with those Spurs teams. Like, he he was never their top option, but he could always take over a game, and he was always dynamic and always gave them, like, just – and Tony Parker never cared about scoring 30 points per game. Kemba doesn't give a shit about any of that stuff either. I think obviously they play very different styles, but to me, he needs to come back and and fill that Tony Parker role. Like, like take over a game when you have the right matchup, when things are going for you, when, when, you know, they need you to, to go get buckets. But I think, I think a lot of his, not a lot of his value, but some of his value will be in just like being out there on the court and, and just being a threat. The Celtics don't have enough threats right now. They need another one. Um, I'm curious to see what he looks like, how healthy he is. Obviously, that's a, a big question mark for them. But but even if he's not healthy, he's a major, major upgrade from a lot of the players in their rotation right now. Well, I think it's just huge so far that they haven't needed him. Like they've been able to win six games and their offenses look pretty good at times without him. I just think his personality, uh, I think we saw it last year when Tatum was having good games. Kemba would work to feed Tatum and like uh, recognize the moment. And he didn't have any ego. He just wants to win. I think if he's just, he's going to be a facilitator and be uh, the kind of just get the guys, Jalen and Jason, um, going and get the ball to them in their spots. And I think it's going to be a wild improvement. It's just it's a huge question mark, I guess, when he comes back, but I think it's going to be a huge boost uh, to the Celtics lineup. You asked me. Kemba was in the 93rd percentile in pick, as a pick-and-roll ball handler in scoring. Look if at his in, points per possession if, in, if as pick-and-roll ball handler. If you include passes, it was 92nd percentile. So very good, not the best in the league. Points per possession in pick-and-roll ball handling. Yeah. Dude. 93rd percentile according to synergy sports who was better than him i don't know i'm just on his page right now okay well while you look at that up you asked me what impact uh i thought romeo langford could he have. was 23rd told you best in the league <laughs> <laughs> that stat no i did not make this up i know someone said that stat maybe it was in well, the well, most of the guys above him are like not pick and roll ball handling guys. Um, Damian Lillard is basically the only high usage guy who is ahead of him and Giannis. Best so, in the league, I say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he was kind of close. We'll, we'll give him close. I think we'll give it to him. Why not? He's, yeah. He hasn't played yet, but sure. Um, well, let's talk about the other guy who's on the uh, hurt right now. You asked me what impact um, I thought Romeo could have. I just answered with a kind of generic platitudes of how how I think he can be good. What do you think he can do on this roster that is so desperate for wing depth? What is your assessment of uh, where he is? Or can you even have one just because he has not played enough games yet? Yeah, I I don't know. I have no clue what Romeo Langford will give the Celtics. I do know that they need a wing and they need defensive versatility. And if he can be a slasher like he was in college, that would help them too. But, I mean, the biggest need for this team that I see is spacing, floor spacing. He doesn't – probably won't provide that. I I mean, he's never been a shooter. He hurt his shooting wrist and is coming back from surgery on that. So I don't think he'll be a good shooter – can he help in other ways? Yeah, probably. Like just having a six-six wing who is athletic and mobile and fluid is- and knows what they're doing on defense, unlike a certain green bean character. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so th- that should help, but like I I don't think it's right to expect much because he's never done much. And and maybe maybe I'm underrating what Romeo Lankford could bring to this team. But what if you get anything from Romeo Lankford? I feel like it's gravy at this point. It's like it's that's fantastic, but there's no it's not like the Celtics are desperate right now for because they they need Romeo Langford to come back and kind of like right the ship. I think they definitely could use more wing help. I think the Grant has been playing well. Shemi's been playing well, certainly in terms of knocking down threes. Uh, Romeo gives them a little bit more of an athlete uh, in terms of defensive versatility. Um, may, like some, I don't know if Javante Green, if he was fully healthy, that maybe he would be doing some of that instead of Carson Edwards. But I think it's just a good sign so far from the Celtics that they don't necessarily like they're not relying on uh, the unproven Romeo Langford. Um, they're they're finding ways to win largely behind you know their three All Stars. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Peyton Pritchard. And Pritchard's emergence is big in that because this team is not deep in scoring options at all. And the fact that he's become one a little bit, like obviously he's not a super high score guy, but he's made offensive plays for them. And he's he's created some stuff. He's finished a lot. He already has a game winner and a spelling bee celebration. So <laughs> I just think like he it's really important. It, it's been very important for them to find that type of impact from a guy that I'm not sure they expected that out of this early. Well, they well, I mean, they knew he was NBA ready. I mean, you're four year starter. You just become NBA ready. You're just ready to hop in. I think we're going to use this to transition into our season long um potable six pack but this question i reached out to the the listener gods out there for some questions uh this one from matt bontempi can you please recognize me as professional anything is potable fan and then tell me if you think fast pp has any shot at the rookie of the year award so first matt bontempi i don't know if you're a professional fan do you get paid uh to be a fan of our podcast if so that'd be pretty cool but i will give you i'll recognize you as that but Payne Pritchard, I think, uh, has no chance at the Rookie of the Year award. I think that's just yep. Anthony Edwards will probably just get the most counting stats or um, LaMelo Tyrese Ball. Halliburton. Don't, or Tyrese Halliburton. Don't count him out. I'm counting him out because he's on the Kings and the Kings don't succeed. I think the very, very frisky uh, Hold on. Hold Charlotte on. Hornets. Didn't Tyreek Evans have an ROI on the Kings? That's a good point. Using... Um, Using past facts to uh, you in your argument, uh, I am silenced. I got nothing to say there. That's a good point. Um, I just don't think Peyton Pritchard is going to put up the counting stats to do it, and that's basically what the Rookie of the Year does. I do want to shout out my second favorite basketball team, the very frisky Charlotte Hornets. Had Gordon Hayward dropping 44 points last night. You get LaMelo Ball under the tutelage of point guard whisperer Nick Friedman. Maybe some things are going places. You got veteran Terry Rozier kind of leading the way. I just think um, LaMelo has a chance to make some noise in the rookie of the year thing, but that's well beyond the point. My first pick in the potable six pack has to be the Peyton Pritchard hype train. I mean, he has gone from a guy on draft night. People were furious with the pick. Uh, to now, why were people furious about the Peyton Pritchard pick? Because draft freaking experts were like, Oh my god, you should have taken Desmond Bain. This guy can't shoot. This guy, uh, you never drafted that. Nobody said that. Mike Schmitz, one of the you don't follow the angry draft draft experts, was he he was saying that they got Fred Van Vliet, the next Fred Van Vliet. I had the. Uh, I mean, that's just because he had to make a comp for like required on the draft. I have my pulse. No, they had a full video breakdown of him comparing Pritchard. I know to because Pritchard he has to do that for every single pick in the first round. It's a dumb exercise. But on draft night, I can tell you, Celtics fans and the draft nerds out there thought it was a bad pick, and they went from that to basically embracing Fast PP as a new legend. Forsberg calls him a legend on the. Uh, NBC Sports Boston last night. We're having nickname debates, which I know that you hate. And so I just want to bring it up again just to piss you off. His name 
is fast PP or cheese, but um, that's neither here nor there. But I just, I didn't see it coming. I'm all here for the hype train. I'm all here for him having just a plethora of TikTok style videos for his teammates to post after games to make fun of him. I love when he gets interviewed after a game and is just has zero swagger whatsoever. And it's just like kind of uncomfortable with the amount of attention he's getting. It's just, it's just a lot of fun being on the Peyton Pritchard hype train. Yeah. It, I mean, the guy, the guy's balled out and, and it's not, it's not like a fluke. He's actually. Good he's good. Guy. He's yeah. nifty as heck around the rim. He's got footwork. He's just, uh, and knows what he's doing. It's a deserved type train. Everyone on board. Yeah. It's no fluke. Peyton Pritchard can hoop. Um, what's my pick? First pick. I didn't know we were doing a season long. Ooh, surprise me. Back. You have nine games to choose from. Just pick anything. Yeah, I, I've I've got to pick. I mean, Jalen Brown's emergence. That's 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 it. I, I don't think. I mean, whenever a player takes on more responsibilities, there's always the fear that the efficiency will go down. That's never really happened with Jalen Brown. He's just the more he's asked to do, the more he does, and the better he's done it. So, I mean, it's really big for them, not just now during these first nine games while Kemba's out, but overall in their development for this season, in their development longer term, to know that Jalen Brown is capable of beginning plays and creating offense and doing all that stuff and just kind of growing more competent in every way is is really really important he's been fantastic he's averaging like 36.7 points per 100 possessions or something ridiculous um he's he's been fantastic and efficient and and they needed it so shouts to him safe pick safe pick yeah yeah i mean I'm I'm on the spot here. No I, lies. I no, I know, no, no time no. to prepare. No time to think. No about coffee. It. I mean, you've had 53 minutes so far, but let's hear your third pick. Third pick. I mean, it's not 53 minutes because I got to listen to your ass spouting wild shit. That should inspire you. That should be like, ooh, he's talking about all these things. That reminds me of this other thing. You know, let's have a connective brain here. I'm going with the the amount of game winners. Three game winners. Kind of wild. Three game winners in nine games. Half of their wins. Half of their wins. Half of their wins have come in the final second. And they had another loss in which Tatum missed the um, shot at the buzzer. So just playing pretty close basketball games here. This, it's Everything's happy in Celtics land right now, but it could be very... Uh, much worse if uh, a few things don't go their way and they're three and six after nine games instead of six and three. Yeah, I mean, if they had lost every single close game, that would have been tough luck, but they're winning most of them instead. A lot of game winners. Not every celebration was as good as Peyton Pritchard's, but they the Celtics are winning at the buzzer. And a lot of these games, in, in a league where there are blowouts everywhere, the Celtics have just been playing barn burners. A lot of barn burners. My pick, and our uh, listener here, Zach Hard E8. Best case scenario, he asks for Danny to utilize the trade exception. We've not talked about the trade exception once. I'm shocked. The Celtics are playing so well. That could be your pick. That's, that could be your pick. The lack of trade exception. That, that is my pick. Is that we haven't. There, like we thought that this was going to be a thing that dominated conversation uh, because there'd be so much need on the Celtics to add someone. We haven't talked about the trade exception once until now, and so maybe, maybe they still use it. I don't know. It's the with other teams kind of figuring out where they are. Maybe players will become available. We mentioned the Sacramento Kings. Uh, the listener Zach said maybe Buddy Heald becomes available. I don't know. I haven't thought about the trade exception once. It's just not something that's entered the discourse. Uh, but maybe it will uh, if the Celtics 
as they get closer to the trade deadline, but I don't know. They, do they need uh, someone for the need to use the trade exception at this point? Yes. Yes, they do. Well, okay. Well, touche. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, they do. I just, uh, they just need wing depth. Uh, I mean, it's, it, it's pretty clear they need wing depth, but. But does like do, do they need to make a trade or do they need to wait for uh, Kemba to come back to see like what they actually have as a team? Um, because it's kind of hard to kind of alter the roster uh, when you don't really know what your full timetable team or what your full roster is going to be capable of. Yeah, but you still know you have no backup, literally zero backup wings. And Kemba Walker doesn't change that. So Romeo Langford, when he comes back, he will be a backup wing. I don't really – I consider Shemi and Grant kind of power forwards or swings. Like, they're they're not, like, agile, mobile, handling types. So the Celtics could use one of those. That That is true, and I think that leads into my last pick, which is just – By the way, you picked the lack of trade exception talk just – and it sparked trade exception talk. I know, because I'm playing mind games. I'm playing Back, chess, you're playing checkers. Backwards world you just created. That's what the kind of world I live in. Um, I'm going to talk more about the two big lineup talk. Ooh. It's not fun, but it's something that happens. As long as Brad continues to start it, people are going to continue to be enraged. And I didn't think that was what was going to happen this season. So I'm surprised by just Daniel Tice playing the four at all, especially – Remember back in, I think it was the preseason where Brad was like, we might go with Daniel Tyson the four. We, we we probably won't do that. He realized immediately that he was a little, being a little bit too revealing of information, but we, we should have seen the signs then. And it's just, I just feel bad for Daniel Tice for having to play the four just because he had his best season of his career being the starting five on one of the best defensive teams and best offensive teams in the league last year. And it's just not fair to him to force him to play power forward. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, he's clearly not a power forward. It's, it's not even like when Al Horford was playing power forward, he was a power forward for his entire career up until that point. Like, and he, he, you could run pick and pops through him. Like he would beat guys off the dribble, make plays. Daniel Tice isn't that he's a guy who like his I think his best offensive trait is like being able to play in the seams after a pick and roll. Like he's good at, at knowing who to pass to. He's, he's good at, you know, catching it there, going to the hoop, not being able to do that takes away a lot of his offensive value. And you're right. Like he, he has, I think he's had to sacrifice more than anyone this year. Most other guys are just kind of in roles that, that make sense for them or are even bigger than they were last year. And Tice is just in by through no fault of his own. He's just kind of been squeezed into a, a place that doesn't fit him. Um, so yeah, my, my right. last pick. Wrap it up. Uh, you're really the bottom of the barrel here. No, you're this going, is you got something. Ooh, you're able to come up with something while talking to me. How impressive. Shemmy, Shemmy, Shemmy. I, I Shemmy. Shemmy. Yeah, I mean, Shemmy. people are saying it. Many people are saying it. The guy is shooting 43% from three. It's and only nine if, games, but that's an impressive percentage. If he can shoot 40% from three, it's it's not a huge increase from what he did last season. But for the Celtics offense, it will just be very important. I kind of trust it, too. I feel like he's actually become a legitimately dependable shooter. He's not one of the top shooters in the league. Even if he keeps up his current percentage, he's not one of the top shooters in the league because he's just a standstill guy. But Shemi... He's serviceable. Serviceable four-man. Serviceable corner three guy. That's all you That's all you want from him. And and it's, it's, it's kind of a cool story because they're really... He was in jeopardy of not being brought back to the Celtics. He really was. And... Instead, in classic Shemi fashion, always finds himself in the rotation, always finds himself with minutes, and he's knocking shots down. He's being solid. He's doing dances over on the sideline. 
I, I just think Shemi has been he he's been important too. Pr- Peyton Pritchard has obviously stolen a lot of the shine and deservedly so. He's a rookie doing really impressive things. But Shemi becoming more of a threat, it just makes everything easier for the best players on the Celtics. And I think we touched on it with our collective six pack, but the real storyline, at least just in terms of expectations for this Celtics year is Jalen Brown, Shemi Ojale, and Peyton Pritchard uh, just making a little bit more of a jump or making more of an impact than we expected going in. And that's one of the, those are the like three major reasons I think the Celtics are where they are at this point. And that is six and three, one eighth of the season here to go, uh, playing solid basketball. And the crazy thing about this schedule is they just don't stop playing basketball pretty much uh, through the rest of the season. Uh, and we will not stop podcasting. We will not stop talking about the Celtics. I appreciate everyone who has time in the middle of their day to be here on the live stream on Periscope. Anyone who listens to our podcast, thank you. We really appreciate it. It definitely helps us out if you rate it five stars, uh, review it, share it with your friends. It will help us out moving forward. And thank you guys for listening to this episode of Anything Is Possible!